Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Philippians 3, verses 1 through 14, and you can follow along on page 1,828 in your pew Bibles. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Excuse me a minute. Deacons, just so you know where it is later. Ah. It's a little spring cleaning, sorry. 
this isn't to say anything about our cleaning company. That's not the point of this. It's just trying to clean up things a little bit, get things put back in place. Actually, we, uh, as a family, went down to my in-laws yesterday and did some of this too, kind of cleaning up the, the house and the yard a bit and getting things back where they're supposed to go. And It's spring cleaning time. Makes sense, right? Good time of year for some of that stuff. This is not my in-laws' backyard, just to clarify. This is actually a, a floating plastic a uh, dump of things that is accumulated out in the Pacific Ocean, and this is a picture of it. Um, lots of garbage in our world, and this is some of the garbage uh, that's out there. It's spring cleaning time. It's that time of year where we pause for a few minutes, and, and we do some extra projects around the house, and we clean things up. And in many ways, that's what this season is for us as well. It's a, a time where we, we enter into this space between Easter and uh, Pentecost, and, and there's a sense of joy and liveliness and playfulness that's in this time. There's also a sense of what's accumulated that we need to let go of and, and get rid of. And so this morning is going to bring us into that space of, of getting rid of things. Uh, getting rid of, of the garbage that's accumulated over the winter months, if you will, uh, as we enter into this season. Uh, really, during this space, uh, this season, this Eastertide season, one of the things we're asking is, how do we live in light of the resurrection of Jesus? Because Jesus came, because Jesus rose, how do we live? Last week, we, we talked about a joy and, and sense of, of playful wonder as we marvel together at God's goodness, goodness in our lives, goodness in creation around us, it's a sense of wonder and excitement and a kind of a, did you see that? Did you see that? And this week is much more, what do we need to let go of? Or better yet, what do we need to throw out that's getting in our way as we enter this resurrection life with Jesus Christ? What needs to be thrown out? Maybe another way of asking the question is, what is piled up in our hearts? Here's a few questions that will help us get after that, that idea that's, that's really behind this text and, and in this space. When we talk over coffee after worship, how do we respond to these questions? How are you? What's going on? What's new? What are those things that we want to say to people that, that we're already, some of us, thinking in our heads, how am I going to answer these questions after church? What do we say so that, that other people know what's going on in our life? And quite honestly, we tend to say things that look, make us look a little bit impressive or make us look like we've got things together. It's not very often that someone says to us, how are you? And we go, man, this, butt's, this week's kicked my butt and I'm struggling. It's not many times that we say, you know what, my kid is struggling with something right now and I just need somebody else to know that. Well, most of the time we talk about the kids that are doing well, the things that are going well in school. We have the, a very polite conversation kind of on the surface. Everything looks good. We don't want to open up our closets and start sharing with people what else is going on. What about this? 
If we were to take a look at what or who we spent our time on during our week, what would we discover? So if we mapped out every hour of our week, said this is what I was spending my time on or who I was spending my time with, what would that tell us about what's accumulating in our hearts? What's piling up in those places we don't always let others into? Or maybe this one. What aspect of what we do or of what we have gives us a sense that we have arrived? What aspect of what we do or what we have gives us a sense that we've made it? Or conversely, what do we feel like we're missing or we should have done by now in order to be complete or considered successful? What do we feel like's missing? And we're like, man, if only this, if only I had a girlfriend. If only I had a better paying job. If only I had a house in a nicer neighborhood. If only. What are those if onlys? And all these questions are ways of getting at the things that have piled up in our hearts and that are taking up space, that are cluttering us. And those type of questions are really behind what Paul's writing to the Philippians in this text. You hear this in his text. He, he's talking about people who have confidence in their flesh and he's saying they have confidence in who they are and what they've done and, and they think that that makes them special. It makes them better than other people. It, it gives them a sense that they've made it in life. They've achieved something. And his response is this. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Goes through this whole list of things. He was, he was circumcised on the eighth day, which means he comes from a family that followed the law, that did what they were supposed to do. He's got the right family heritage. And not only that, he's part of the people of Israel. And so there's a sense of pride as the people of Israel that they, because God has spoken to them, are better than other ethnic groups. There's a little bit of ethnic edge here. I've heard it sometimes in our spaces. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Yeah? Some people have said that, right? Some of us have felt that, right? Paul's saying the same thing about being, being part of the people of Israel. I've got my ethnic identity, and it's better than all y'alls. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin, that beloved child uh, of Jacob's, that last one that he didn't want to let go of, that, that one tribe that had that kind of special place, special sense of affection. And along with that, a Hebrew of Hebrews, because of all these things, and in regard to the law of Pharisee, which meant he had the best education their people could offer. Not only did he get the training that all Jewish boys did, he went on beyond that to get more training and to be trained by the Pharisees, to be brought up in this way that he would be a teacher among all the people. And on top of that, he had zeal. 
which means he had a spiritual fervor, which meant a sense of my spirituality is better than the rest of yours. I pray and I fast, I do all these things, and, and I even go after the people who don't. I make sure they know they don't belong. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, he's daring people, find a way that I violated the law, I keep the letter of the law, I am meticulous in doing what is expected of me. Paul is laying all these things out and saying, all these things could give me status in this world. They could give me status in my little world. They, they are the height of everything I could achieve. I have it all. And the backside of it is, what do they have? Paul is playing kind of a foolish line here, and he's doing it on purpose to make a point. But how many of us have the same type of tendencies? I get up at 6 a.m. and do my devotions. I've earned a couple master's degrees and a doctorate degree. Right? I got my education. That's got to give me something. I've got money in the bank account. We have a positive net worth in a world that's tied up in debt. That's pretty good. I've made something for myself. We've got a decent house and we've got a few cars and we've got kids that are in good schools. I mean, all those things should add up to, to give me some value, right? And how many of us could add our own things to that list? Where do we get our value? How often do we fall into this trap of putting confidence in our flesh and in the things that are around us in our culture? How often do we say, this is what makes me important. This is what gives me value and purpose. After giving that whole list, Paul, starting in verse 7 and going through verse 9, has a whole series of things where he starts talking about loss. And I'll, I'll just read it a moment. Listen to the words for lo of loss that come in here. Whatever were the gains in that whole list of things that he just gave, whatever were the gains, to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul's saying, I, I consider all those things, all those cultural, ethnic markers, all those religious markers, all that education, all that spiritual fervor, the moral superiority, it, it's all a loss so that I can gain Christ so that I can be found in him. And, and then he expands it a little bit more. It's not just the list I gave you. In fact, he uses the word panta, which means all things. It's all things are a loss. So anything I would have had put my identity in is now a loss. I'm a Detroit Tigers fan. That's a loss. I'm a University of Michigan fan. That's a loss. I'm a U.S. citizen. That's a loss. Some of you may say amen, right? <laughs> One of my friends, when he was preaching on this passage, had a garbage can up front, similar to what I do. 
He threw his passport in it. He threw his diploma in it. He threw his credit cards in it. And you could feel the tension rising. He started naming all these things that have accumulated around him. And he's confessing ascension very publicly. These are things I put my value and self-worth in, and they go beyond, way beyond what the text says. And Paul's saying, include these things too. Anything that you would have put your value in as being better than somebody else, as being more worthy of God's attention than someone else, get it off your heart. All these things are a loss. And then he, he actually goes one step further. I have suffered the loss of all things. He's stretching it further, trying to, trying to put into place anything possible that could have given him value. The thing everybody is doing, the at this stage of my life, I should be's or should have's. All status, reputation, measures of success, He's taking them and he's, he's saying all these things are a loss because they get in the way of me knowing Jesus Christ and being found in him. A God who emptied himself, as we read out of Philippians 2, in order to reconcile us with God, calls us to empty ourselves as well of anything that would get in the way of us knowing Christ and being found in him. I'm going to teach you a Greek word this morning, and I'll say up front, it's a crass word, okay? It's a crass word in the Greek. Some of you will probably be tempted to use this as a swear word later on. I consider them skubalon, that I may gain Christ. I consider them skubalon, that I may gain Christ. This is the only place in the whole New Testament this word is used. It is typically not used in religious circles. It is more of a street term. And Paul grabs it and says, I consider everything, all the stuff I just listed, to be scubalon. Our first response, which I'm sure some in the Philippian church had, Apostle Paul, what are you writing? You shouldn't write words like that. It's improper. It's, it's unfit to say in a worship setting, it doesn't belong. How dare you? There should be rising within us a sense of scandal as we hear that word. Let me tell you a little bit of what it means. It, it does mean on the surface garbage or rubbish. That's kind of the general use of it. More specifically, it was used to talk about the leftover remains of slaughtered animals puts us in a farm setting for a moment, right? Puts us in a butcher shop for a moment and all the stuff that they sweep off the counter afterwards. Keep the farm setting in mind. This is what it actually means. Dung or excrement, or as we would say today, shit. That is what this is. That is what Paul is writing here. I consider all of this scubalon because it gets in the way of being known and found in Jesus Christ. Anything that gets in the way of being known and found in Jesus Christ, anything that, that says your identity and worth is in what you have done, 
Your identity and worth is in what you possess. Your identity and worth is in what you achieve. Your status and your reputation are made secure by what you have and what you, what you have done. Paul says, all of that is scubalon compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And it should shock us. It should give us pause and go, did he really just say that? That is what's loaded in this term. Paul is really going after it. Figuratively, this word starts to get used as well of people who have a filthy mind, meaning sexually filthy mind. That's where this term goes. It is a crass word to describe crass actions, and Paul is telling the Philippians and the Spirit telling us, if you take any value in parts of your life and say, that's what makes me secure and comfortable in this world, and it is apart from Christ, it is scubalon, and it needs to be thrown out. So, if we're going to take an honest look at the muck that's in the stall of our lives, maybe we need a few things to prompt us. Is it money? Wealth? The dollar amount in your bank account or the salary you earn in your job? What about the sports teams we root for? I mean, it is the NHL playoffs right now. What about fitness or our body image, that our value comes from the way we look and the way we appear to others? What about our profession or our title, our access to power? What about the neighborhood we live in or the shape of our home? What about our education level, our clothing or our music style that appeals to our friends? about our parenting style? Are we the cool parents or are we kind of those strict, dorky parents? How about who we're related to? Where we go for relaxation and vacation, even if we can afford vacation versus someone who can't? What about the church we're a part of? Go to First Hamilton. How's that rank? All these things, and the crazy part is, they're good things. But they have a way of getting in the way of our relationship with God and the radical message of God's grace that comes through his death and resurrection. God has said, you are mine, not because of what you have done, but because of what my son has done. I've claimed you as my own based on on Jesus Christ emptying himself and taking on the suffering, actually becoming sin, becoming sin so that you might become my righteousness, not based on what you did, but what on, he did, on what he did. What gets in the way of that? So we're going to do something this morning. Some of you, when you came in, Sawyer, can I slip past you a sec here? You may have noticed that on the inside of the pews, the inside rows, there's paper and a few pens. I'm trusting that some people have brought pens with them anyways this morning, so you may need to use your own, but there's little slips of paper and pen. 
I'm going to invite us this morning to take a few minutes. We're going to sit in silence, and you can take a few minutes, and I, I put a few more prompts up of things that we can write down that have gotten in our way of our relationship with God. Perhaps it is a sin that we are committing or something that we've done that we're, we're ashamed to admit and we simply need to own the fact that we have sinned. We need to write the sin down, crumple it up, walk up to the front and throw it in one of the garbage cans. Maybe it's a good thing that we know we're supposed to do, but we've been dragging our feet on doing it because we know if we do, it could cost us our reputation or our friendship with someone else. Or maybe it's one of the good gifts that we've already mentioned or similar to what Paul does, good gifts that have become so essential to our identity and sense of self-worth that if we lost them, we would be angry at God for taking it away. Kind of like Jonah when, when that, little, that little plant grows up over Jonah's head and then God causes the plant to die and Jonah gets angry at God because that plant was taken away and he thought it was a right for him to have shelter, a sense of shade. We're going to take a few moments. Feel free to write something down. And as you do, as you get to a point where you've written something down, feel free to walk up front. Walk up to one of the trash cans that are up there, crumple it up, throw it in it, let it go. After we've had a few minutes where people can do this and been coming up, our, our musicians are going to start playing a song and lead us into a space where we'll, we'll move out of this into a, a song that becomes a, a prayerful part of this confession. Please feel free to write something down. If you're on the inside aisle, pass the slips of paper down so that everybody has a chance to write something. <laughs> 